Welcome in to Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner on a lovely Wednesday morning going live via satellite. And you're in this absurd Packers tailgate outfit. What is this? Zuba. So I walk in this morning and you asked me what these pants are. And I'm like, never, you never heard of Zubas? Seen Zubas before? Zuba is not something I knew. No. I've been wearing these since I was like six. It's are classic. they the same pants from your six-year-old uh, no, days? No, I've, I've, I've gotten new ones. I wasn't this tall as a kid, but they were as cool as they were then as they are now. Wow. Producer Mike Quinn also said, yeah, those are Zubas. I guess I'm on the outside looking in. Those are interesting apparel um, choices. I'm wearing Notre Dame for you, Mike. Yeah, I am I know. I, I feel like I got fucking shown up here. You rocking a Notre Dame jersey. I'm rocking <laughs> We are going to. It, but. Going to. No, next next stop on the tailgates, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, at Soldier Field. I'll be wearing the same jersey. I Everyone and their mother is going to be there, apparently. You oh, got really? Big Noon Kick. You got Game Day. You got the Barstool Roadshow. And you got the tailgate. Oh, my God. It's going to be a festival. Yeah. Uh, also on the show today, we're going to get into some Monday Night Football Review, College Football Week 3 reviews, some risers and fallers, the quarterback class, etc. And then also, back into the show, I talked to Iowa linebacker Justin Jacobs, who if you don't know the name yet, this kid is a stud, one of the highest grade linebackers in the Power Five, a redshirt sophomore, six foot four, two forty, long arms, really smart dude. And then also Jerion Ely, the Ole Miss running back. Man, he has a fantastic story about Lane Kiffin. I bring up, you know, how much Lane Kiffin wants to adjust. You know, he, all these adjustments in game at halftime and these things. He said, he, he said, I got a good example. Practice today. You know, he walks up to me and some of the other players. He says, you run this way, you run this way, and you run that way. And we did it. Next thing you know, we're in the end zone. He's like, that guy's a genius. It's, it's incredible what uh, what Jerrion has to say. So definitely tune <laughs> into those at the back end here. Um, let's start with Monday Night Football. Your thoughts on the Manning cast week two. I did not like it. I thought week one was better. Week, week two was way too predicated on these guests. And I felt like it ended up – my thought was it ended up you're watching the game with a podcast in the background because so little of the conversation was actually about the game. Yeah, uh, so that's kind of what I was going to say is as a Packer fan, I think if I was really trying to get immersed in the game, I would rather have just watched the normal broadcast. Like yeah. if, if it's a game I really care about, obviously this is week two, Lions. Like, But if it's like a bigger game, you know, a bigger matchup, I, I would have – rather just watch the broadcast and focused on what's going on in the football field because so much of it was not focused on the football field unfortunately but there was still i still was found it very entertaining having watched it the brett Favre segment though was one of the worst segments i've seen in tv history he was not only like felt like he was on a five second delay compared to everyone else but he just kept he looked like he was lost it looked like yeah. he wasn't even watching the game it was a, it was a tough scene he wasn't watching the game yeah, so that's he didn't the thing, <laughs> He's like, uh, how'd they look at the first? Like, one of his questions literally was, how did the Lions play in the first half? Not even, like, a specific one, like how golf look or the offensive line or has his defense been running this coverage all game? He's like, no, how did they play? And they're like, uh. And then he kept being like, why aren't they running cover two? <laughs> they should run cover two. It's like, Jesus, dude. It poor, was. Poor. I, I mean, I didn't think any of the guests were good. I think the Pat McAfee was the most entertaining, but even even then it's like you just told, like, a really long story while plays were going on. That game was a blowout by then. But uh, how about the game itself? Any surprises in that one? Aaron Jones, four touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers, A-OK. I think yeah. there's still some concern on this Packers defense. I agree. They can't get pressure on the quarterback, and they give up a ton of big plays. Eric Stokes, I think, now leads all rookie cornerbacks and forcing completions. He had himself a good game. But outside of that, like – I still, you know, Quintez Cephas should not be balling out on you guys. You know, you should not be getting you know, next to no pressure against this 
Lions offensive line. Panay Sewell, I know, has played really well. I think he has zero sacks allowed so far this season at left tackle. But the interior, Jonah Jackson has one of the lowest pressure rates allowed of any lineman this season. There's there's holes in that Lions offensive line. It's not you know as formidable as maybe the Packers defense made it look. Yeah, they really should have been able to. And, I mean, you're down a starter. You're throwing out Matt Nelson at right tackle. You should be dominating an off line like that if you are you know, championship-caliber sort of defensive line. Obviously, no Zedaria Smith. That's a big loss for any team to lose your best pass rusher. But still, you would hope Rashawn Gary, Preston Smith, first-round pick, and a guy who paid a lot of money to get a little bit more pressure than they did. So that is obviously a concern going forward. They're the only team in the NFL that doesn't have a player with a sack yet, even though they got a team sack on that golf fumble. Yeah, I'm worried about the defense. I'm just going to say it. And the fact that afterwards you saw Matt LaFleur's press conference said he told Joe Barry to start bringing pressure in the second half. Like he told him how to do his job. And that's always kind of a worrisome thing when you have to have the head coach basically dictating to the play caller how to do his job. It's a little scary. I'll just say it's a little scary as a as a fan, as anyone outside the organization to hear things like that. Maybe it's Maybe that's, you know, common. Maybe I can – Someone could tell me I'm a dumbass, but that just hearing that is something that you would probably, I don't, I don't think, you know, the elite DCs, I don't think Robert Salah was getting told how to run his defense by, you know, Kyle Shanahan over in San Francisco. I don't think Brent Staley was getting told what to do by Sean McVay. I'll just say that. I do. I asked you, th- I asked you this after week one about your nearing the panic button, the Packers. And I know they won this game, but that I, I, I am, you know, I am second guessing this defense. I don't know. And the Rams look good. You know, I, I think I've always highlighted the Packers as the second-best team in the NFC, mm-hmm. right behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers all offseason and even after week one. I was like, I still am a believer. Are the Rams creeping up as this kind of sec? I know it's two weeks. It's reacting sample size, whatever. But, like, where are you at? Where, where are you ranking the NFC right now? Tampa obviously won. Who is your number two team in the NFC with all of the data that you have? I think it's still, I think it's still the Packers. Mm-hmm. I do think it's a team offensively that's going to – improve obviously when David Bakhtiari comes back and throughout the season I I will say the Rams have looked very good going into Indy putting up 27 points in that defense not easy so I think it's close but I do think it's the Packers still until I'm proven otherwise fair enough yeah I think the Rams have made it closer in my opinion than I thought they were going to I think yeah. I was fading the new look Rams not as not a playoff contender but not a, I never was like oh yeah Rams are the second best team in the NFC I always felt that Green Bay was but I think they are closer in my mind I'll stick with Green Bay better quarterback I'm giving that um, what they have there all right let's get to college football risers and fallers here the first guy you have on your list for the risers you want to go back and forth you want to go risers and fallers Let's just go risers first. We don't want to harp too much on the fallers. So that's to go that's back totally fair. So Georgia defensive lineman Nolan Smith, a 77.8 PFF grade so far this year, 77.5 pass rusher grade, a former highly regarded recruit, finally starting to put things together for Georgia. Yeah, that's an understatement. I mean, the 247 composite, he was number one overall. Oh, wow. Oh, and the composite, too. In, Doesn't that in rank the in previous years? He was My the goodness. number one overall. Or sorry, sorry, 20th all-time, but number one overall in that class, the 20. 19 class, which featured Kayvon Thibodeau, Derek Stingley Jr., guys who were studs from day one. Nolan Smith was the number one guy coming out of high school. Has not looked like those guys since. You know, yeah. has not done that. Now, he's been playing since his true freshman year, but never really made that leap to dominance. You see the physical abilities. That guy can fly. Like, chase down, chases down quarterbacks outside the pocket with ease. But this was the first game where you're like, oh, okay, this guy can actually be a – every down 
impactful defensive end. 89.9 overall grade against South Carolina. Saw him set the edge very, very well for a guy who's probably would qualify as an undersized. I think he probably runs in the, the 240s range at six foot three. But then as a pass rusher, his highest graded game is pass rusher, two sacks, a forced fumble in there as well, 90.4 pass rushing grade. The tools are there. Like this guy has that. That's kind of Georgia's entire defense, honestly. But more games like that, no one please. I think that entire I mean, that entire Georgia team dominated against South Carolina. Did you see the clip Shane Beamer talking about the defense? I did not. It's a press conference clip, I think, on a Zoom. And you gotta go look it up. It's hilarious. But Shane Beamer, maybe we could play it on the show, Mike. I mean, Quinn, maybe we could loop this one in. Maybe I'll send it to you. But um this clip, man, he they asked him like, Hey, like what surprised you or something about this Georgia defense? Like, you know, what makes them so good? And he's like, just like pretty much like, well, they got fucking 55 stars. They got like, <laughs> like this entire team is like top 100 recruits. They're all athletes. They're all big. They're all well coached. Like yeah. outside of that, they're pretty damn good too. And it's like, oh, it's uh, pretty much an encapsulation of like, I mean, they do have like all five stars. They do yeah. like this defense is loaded with so much talent. The Kobe Dean, Nolan Smith. I mean, this, this is a lot, a lot of talent for Georgia defense. It's, it's why like, there are people legitimately talking about Georgia as the number one team in the country. Are you on yeah. that bandwagon at all? I think we've had some people in the office say Georgia is maybe a better football team than um, – I am. Yeah, I, I think they are the best team in the country. Really? You yeah. think Georgia over Bama? Yeah, I thought Oklahoma – like I said, my preseason pick was Oklahoma over Georgia. I, I think Georgia's probably now the best. And I, I do worry about the offense. But by the time SC Championship playoff rolls around, they should have Pickens – back at at the very least to help out that offense george pickens the junior wide receiver i I though can't wait having watched this game jordan davis defense tackle 6'6 340 i can't wait to watch him run his 40 because if you see him chasing down gosh i'm south carolina's quarterback's name is eluding me but you see him chasing him down outside the pocket and sprinting his feet did not get more than about three inches off the ground that's a shuffle if go watch the shuffle is incredible he does not pick his knees up his feet just like glide but he's moving it's going to be it's going to be a joy to watch reviewing some of this nolan smith tape like him setting the edge at the size he is is absurd like especially i mean south carolina you know is not like a juggernaut in the sec but like they have legitimate talent i mean they they have regarded talent at tackle and those guys are big and he's like not just setting the edge with you know power but like exploding into the offensive tackle extending his arms and and not giving up you know plays against the run i think he's one if you talk about a riser but also one of probably one of the most improved players in college football um, over the course of his career. On to now, um, Trey McBride. We got actually a tag in a tweet from Jim Nagy, the mm-hmm. uh, director of the Senior Bowl, talking about Trey McBride's performance this past week, the Colorado State tight end. We, when I talked to Steve Adazio, head coach, he said, we got the best tight end in the country. He also said we had the best punter in the country. So they got a lot of good <laughs> things going on for Colorado State. But when you turn – That's where I want to be strong. Yeah. If, I'm a, if I'm a college football team, tight end and punter – you're going to win a lot of games. That's where I want to be strong. I don't. I, I honestly want to be strong like that in the NFL. If you don't have a good <laughs> tight end. I mean, that was the Raiders for a better part of the early 2000s. Zach Miller and True. Shane Leckler, that's all we had. Mm-hmm. Um, Trey McBride, going back and watching his tape, before you comment on like how much he's risen, mm-hmm. speak to him as an athlete. I mean, productivity has been obvious. He has been phenomenal for Colorado yeah. State. He's like soaking up like 99% of their passing yards this past week, whatever mm-hmm. it was. What soaking up? I don't know if I love that verb or that – phrase choice what's your opinion of him as an athlete i bet he runs somewhere in the neighborhood of a four seven flat maybe high four sixes but he's 260 pounds he's not undersized for a tight end you see it on his tape at colorado state when he's running a straight line it's tough for 
a 190 pound cornerback to bring him down like he, he just guys bounce off him very easily um this this season already three broken tackles on 31 catches for his career 13 on 105 like he that's a legitimate part of his game after the catch now is he the type of athlete that's going to win consistently one-on-one probably not yeah like i i don't he's not in that tier but he's got very solid hands been good in contests catches over the course of his career and more than athletic enough to get by i, I think when all said and done i, I do think this guy's probably a, f- a top 100 player probably back end of the top 100 in this game against Toledo, 109 yards they only had 110 yards passing in the entire game he has 109 of them it's i don't think ridiculous. i've ever seen that i that is over 99 percent of a team's <laughs> receiving yards for a game you can there's only one more yard to do better although i guess you could technically have more than 100 percent of a team's passing yards. yeah if they have sacks and if stuff? they have well just negative other oh passing yeah passes but 343 yards for three games he's at 100 yards in every single one of his games this year he's definitely that's going to be your it's going to be your Mackey award winner right there three 100 yard games to start the season against south dakota state vanderbilt and then this past week toledo he also has one touchdown on the season only two drops so far this year 42 total targets and the other thing i was going to highlight is that i think this is going to this is also going to reflect his usage in the NFL. Very few snaps in the slot. Very few snaps in the outside. It's mostly an inline tight end at six four two sixty. I think that's how he's going to be utilized largely in the NFL. Whereas a lot of teams, when you are drafting tight ends inside the top fifty, top sixty, looking for guys that you can split out wide, split in the slot. These better athletes. Yeah, his average depth target seven point one yards. It's not. He's not running. You got a comp like a that comes shape. to this mind. Ain't, this ain't Kyle Pitts. He's not running like Kyle Pitts. It's not Kyle Pitts or comp. This is not Kyle Pitts. <laughs> what, well, you got a comp that comes Ooh, to mind. Ooh, comp that comes to mind. That's a good one. I, I mean, it's hard because you're gonna have to turn back clocks a little bit to identify a tight end at that size who's even had a lot of success in the NFL. Like two sixty. I mean, Gronk's two sixty five. There are oh, some. Okay, never mind. Sorry, I was sorry, 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 sorry. I didn't mean future Hall of Fame Gronk. I okay. Meant, I meant like a tight end of his athleticism and size. I mean, that like Cole Komet was about two sixty coming out. There are guys. I, I'm. Off the top of my head, I can't really think of maybe like Dallas God Dirt might be a guy who's is that somewhere. how you pronounce it? No, is it split like just, that? I was just <laughs> I don't know why I said it like that, but yeah, because I was a little unsure. But yeah, Dallas Goddard, I think is the guy's profile. Our there. next riser is actually on this podcast, mm-hmm. Jerry on Ely, convenient Ole Miss running back. So, do you know his recruiting background? Hit us, highly regarded recruit out of Mississippi, baseball had, player, had, yeah, big time. Um, he might honestly had, still play baseball. He does. Of, he does play I mean, baseball. I'm saying he might, instead of going to the NFL. Might oh, really? Play. Wow. Yeah. That's he, a good he, he spoke to his love for both sports on the interview when you mm-hmm. listened to it today. Um, highly regarded recruit, had offers from Bama, Clemson, like all these teams, and then he decided to stay in-state at Mississippi. And I think a lot of that was because he knew he was going to be able to play baseball for Ole Miss. And, like, playing baseball is such a huge importance to him. He plays in the outfield. Um, he said he talked a lot about – he had off-season soldier surgery this past year and wasn't able to play a ton. But he talked a lot about, like, hey, I have not, like, not played baseball since I was, like, a kid, and I want to continue to play. It's one of my favorite things. So mm-hmm. he's, like – and I asked him, like, why he originally got into football. He's, like, I was just good at it. Like, you know, it's, like, I feel like he's a, he's an interesting player. The interview was very good. Um, but Jerry on Ely on the football field, one of the highest broken tackle rates in the country, super, super quick. I think his acceleration is incredible. And uh, guys just bounce off him. He's small – a little bit smaller. I think he's, like, what, five foot nine in the – 190. 5'8", Yeah. But so, he's a rocked up 190 at five foot nine. I do think that uh, it's not a death knell for him. I know smaller backs have kind of gotten hit pretty tough lately, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire specifically. But I think Jerry Ely is a is a riser for me as well. 
Well, it depends on what what you're asked to do. If you're a smaller back and you want to be a full-time carry the load. 30 carry back? That's you, That might be an issue. If you were asked to you know pick up pass pro all the time, that could be an issue. But I think Jerry Ely, his sort of biggest strength is that not only is he very elusive, tough to bring out in space, this guy's legit receiving chops. Like it's unsurprising considering what he's a shortstop in baseball. Like he's he's an outfielder or outfielder. Okay, sorry. That like the baseball background, you better be able to catch. Like you better have some hand-eye coordination. He does. Like he could actually play just slot receiver. This guy, if you wanted him to, at that size. And so against Tulane, twelve broken tackles, fifteen attempts. He is he's my favorite scat back in the class. I don't think it's really particularly close. Six catches for seventy-eight yards through this season already. Um, excited to see I, th- I think he's going to get more usage as you see kind of the stakes get higher for Ole Miss mm-hmm. when they have to play the Bamas of the world in a couple weeks which that's gonna be a good one you also had a lot of really good things to say about Matt Corral talking about guy puts in coaching hours coaching mm-hmm. hours when you're the first one and last guy to leave guy who's you know I think when you hear people talk about quarterbacks and the first thing they bring up is it couldn't happen to a better guy I feel like you do, my ears do perk up a little bit um uh but what's interesting about Jerry on Ely's usage and he talked about Lane Kiffin and like why he loves Lane Kiffin he's he's, in, he's gonna throw me the football they actually lean on Henry Parrish the other running back there to run a little bit more routes for them uh, I'm interested to see if they start to use him more as a pass catcher because right now the leading running back in, in routes run is Henry Paris Jr. So getting Jerrion Ely, I think, on the field more, running more routes. He's ran 32 routes so far this year. I want to see that. I want to see more of him p- catching the football because I agree with you. I think that's what his role will be in the NFL. It would um, be fun to watch. It would be. Hashtag fun to watch. Next guy on our list here, Max Mitchell. Tell the people. Max Mitchell, Louisiana, Lafayette, right tackle, has been a starter for four years now. This is fourth year. Start at left tackle in the past. This guy's for real. This guy's going to be, say, you might end up top 100 player on PFF's draft board. Now, he's a little slight, but if you go back and watch his tape against Texas, exceptional. Only one pressure allowed in that game, 47 pass blocking snaps, and basically that whole second half, Texas knew they had to pass. They were down big, Louisiana in week one. So this guy's his balance is terrific. And against Ohio, 94.7 overall grade, didn't allow a single pressure. And yeah, it's Ohio, but you could still see how physical a guy is. And for only being 300 pounds, he is moving dudes off the ball. So big fan of who, what he brings to the table. Uh, even texted Eric Galco, the Shrine Bowl guy. I'm like, he got the Shrine Bowl director. Shrine Bowl guy was very informal of me. That was rude. But he's Shrine Bowl director. I said, hey, they get this guy to the Shrine Bowl. He's he's going to be something he's going to be a player so oh, really okay uh we, he was fringe for us and so uh, hopefully i just got max mitchell invite we, we shall see but we'll have wow, Eric you're out here banging the table for max mitchell fucking we'll, three weeks in you're we'll gonna go put, get him you're, you're giving it's been the, that good that's why and you can't just tell east west shrine bowl director like hey go get this guy make sure he's in you're not a fucking nfl coach we have a partnership with the shrine bowl i know you have a partnership but you gotta be like hey you should check this guy out not fucking go get this guy the senior bowl you're not some freaking monster All right, well, we'll ask eric on tomorrow's show yeah whether or not that's show. fair because we're gonna have him on tomorrow's show He's also a guy that's his grades improved every year of his career. Yeah. You know, you look at uh, 81.9 grade in 2019, playing over 800 snaps, 84.3 in 2020, and then now a 90.2 grade so far this year on 205 snaps. I think this past week was by far his most impressive game, and you see those people move. I think Billy Napier coaches toughness, though. I'll say that. The other thing I'm surprised by is I did not realize the Raging Cajuns logo, the apostrophe that makes him raging and not raging, is actually a chili pepper. Mm. 
So that is a nice piece. It's Called a nice touch. Graphic design. That's a nice graphic design piece. Next guy on our list here, Chad Muma. Mm-hmm. I we're going small school. I was not deep. ready. I I knew when we saw, when I saw this guy grading well, and I turned on his tape, and he was a little bit bigger than some of the linebackers that we've liked out of Wyoming of late, or even you know these Look like small big. Don't hate on. Wyoming linebackers. I, I mean, I, I think, you know, because arm length is so important at linebacker and these different – and I think you can get – like you can fall in love with these linebackers and find out they have like 31-inch arms or 30-inch arms. You're like, wait a second, this is not going to fly. You need to have longer arms. You need to be more Blake athletic. Cashman. But, yeah, Blake Cashman. Exactly. Chad Muma, 6'3", 242 so far this year in 91.6 PFF grade for the Wyoming Cowboys, the guy that is rising up PFF's draft board. 22 stops in three games. He's on pace to get in the PFF record range with those kind of numbers has only missed one tackle on 36 attempts actually for his career has only missed 10 tackles on 151 attempts which is a pretty damn good rate for linebacker and yeah the guys he's facing at wyoming not exceptional but this guy is a legit prospect against ball state 91.5 overall grade had a pick six in that game i, I like love his instincts love the sort of nastiness he plays with is he your, you know, is, he, is he Jordan Brooks athletically? Is, is he even Logan Wilson athletically? I'm, I'm not even sure. But he's, I think he's good enough to be at least a two-down linebacker in the NFL. So I haven't watched his tape because he limited season last year, only 347 snaps through three games this year. This guy is animal. Fun, hashtag fun to watch for, for sure. It's from Lone Tree, Colorado. Former three-star recruit had offers from Colorado State, Hawaii, Nevada, and Wyoming. Ended up committing to Wyoming. Six foot three, two forty-two. Chad Muma. That is the end of our risers list here. That's a surprised list to get on because I know you're still trying to flesh keep it tight. out. Got to keep it tight. Got to keep it tight. But it's, it's you're still trying to flesh out who you want to add to the end of your draft guide or the early like January draft guide, and that obviously that gets fleshed out to the full three hundred. Are you close? to 200 players right now that are kind of yeah in your way I got 200 I got 200 on the list we'll be dropping an update to the draft board on Friday so make sure you go and check that out when it does drop before we jump to the fallers here week two of football is in the books and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week one week three with DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the NFL to kick off anchor to kick off another action-packed week DraftKings is giving new customers $150 instantly when they bet $1 in any football game listen up because you don't want to miss this head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now and place a bet of a $1 on any week three game to receive $150 in free bets instantly if Sportsbook is not yet available in your state DraftKings still has huge cash prizes up for grabs all season long with their daily fantasy contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes prizes with their first deposit. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to receive $150 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any football game. That's promo code PFF. This week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5, $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. DraftKings. I'm excited to go to Illinois because we get to bet again. I think I love leaving. The tailgate tours are fantastic because you can actually bet on the yeah. other states outside of freaking Ohio. So um, I bet a ton in Pennsylvania. I, I, I won a decent amount. I think I came out like with like a 1% win, like edge, <laughs> like which wasn't great. But still. You didn't even ride with my UC call. 
I didn't ride with your UC call. I did bet Maryland ter- our Terps live oh, plus three forty when they were down against Illinois. I know against Bielma, who is family. Also, but still, uh, fi- fallers here. Indiana wideout. This one I kind of expected. Indiana wideout Ty Freifogel goes down wide after facing off a Mod Gardner and not playing all that well. I, he also has not had a strong start to the season. Yeah, so they kind of after it was tough sledding early on, they started moving him around away from Mod, kind of moved him to the slot a little bit. Uh, in that game, but then he had two drops, only one catch on nine targets for 13 yards. It was this. This could have been kind of a statement game. This is going to be the best cornerback you face all year, and a cornerback that you know realistically should uh, give him trouble. Like that, that, I said it in the pregame show, the college football show we do on Fridays. I said, you know, Ahmad Gardner is about the exact same size as Ty Freifogel. Fogel wins six two two oh five, wins with that size, wins at the catch point a lot. That is also where Ahmad Gardner wins. So to see those two go head-to-head and Ahmad Gardner kind of get the best of them, not good for Freifogel's draft. You weren't super high on Freifogel entering the season either. I mean, contested catch guy. I think we've said I've said this in the office a handful of times talking about you know some of these receivers that people like in college. It's good college receivers. I think getting yeah. these, you, you, there are a lot of good contested catch types that will get hyped up entering draft classes that are good college receivers or even great college receivers. But if you're not a consistent separator, and I wouldn't call Fry Fogel that, it's going to be difficult to kind of move up the draft board all that high. Yeah. So if you have size and ball skills, you can put up massive numbers in college because college cornerbacks have dog shit ball skills. They can't find the ball. They're not like if like a go ball where a cornerback's head is not turned towards the ball trying to find it is basically just free yards in college football. For the vast, for 90% of college corners, there's that 10% that actually, you know, know how to play the catch point, can actually adjust, can actually turn and locate. But the vast majority just can't. It's to develop skill. It's why so many guys, you know, it's why corners are difficult to evaluate in college of the pro as well. So that's, uh, that's kind of tie for Eiffel. Very yeah. much a guy who capitalizes on that and not necessarily creates on his own. Next guy on this fallers list here. I know we said we weren't going to spend too much time on the followers, but Zion Nelson, the Miami, Florida offensive lineman, six foot five, three sixteen, so far this year at fifty seven point four PFF grade. Now he's seeing better competition than a lot of these other schools. Yes. Alabama week one, even App State, you know, was talented, and then Michigan State in week three, he's seen some talented competition, but still. Mm, but it's not like Michigan State's world beaters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you compare it to Wyoming's schedule of like Ball State yes. and all that stuff, but go. Zion Nelson still. Not playing, you know, playing good competition, 57.4 grade, not what you wanted to see, especially after you, know, you kind of expected this progression. In 2020, a 70.4 overall grade and a 78.7 pass blocking grade. Looking to see improvement from that so far this year, not the case. Yeah, and it's also about expectations. You know, he was top five in Mike Mayock's preseason draft or preseason board. Mike Mayock? Jeez, I always say Tom McShay. I always get those two confused. <laughs> Mike Mayock's board is out. <laughs> <laughs> Probably is on Mayock still. <laughs> Tom McShay's preseason draft board. It, w- when you have those kind of expectations, when you're thought to be that kind of prospect, and, and truthfully on the PFF draft board he wasn't. He was in the 40s preseason. Then that, then they expect you to dominate. They expect you to go out against Michigan State and not allow a pressure. And now with 72 pass block snaps because they were down, and the second half was a little difficult. But two sacks, four total pressures against – like, yeah, Michigan State, probably well-coached team. These are not 
world beaters along the defensive line. I'll just say that. These are not top prospects that he's going up against. Alabama, yeah, Will Anderson, that's a t- difficult ask of him. But Drew Beasley is a guy who was kind of eating his lunch. Good player, not quite on that level. So uh, I, I do think that Zion Nelson, the top five, top ten hype, it's not going to happen. It died not on Mike happen. Mayock's draft board. Mike Mayock is rethinking that one. Um, where does the expression eating his lunch come from? Is that bullying and, like, getting your lunch stolen out of your locker? Probably. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Wasn't really sure. Uh, Owen Papo, Auburn linebacker. And this guy – We were there in, in person scouting this. Yeah, we were scouting Owen Papo in person, and he fell. He fell a little bit. Where's number zero for Auburn? The thing I'll say is this. Owen Papo has not graded super well over the course of his Auburn career. You know, even this past – it was 700 snaps played in 2020, a 58.9 PFF grade so far this year, just a 64 PFF grade with three missed tackles. He is, though, I'll say it, I'll say it, a fun-to-watch player. I think, I think the reason I think a lot of uh, – you, you see some people hyping up Papo yeah. is because he does play the game with veracity and, you know, physicality that I think a lot of people gravitate towards at the linebacker position, but he's not playing it all that well right now. And he's the kind of athlete that yeah, can play three downs. Six foot one, 226, and can fly. Yeah, probably runs – can probably get around the four fours at that size. Um, he is that kind of athlete, but – you know, speed only and athleticism only gets you so far. You have to finish plays. You have to make plays. And, man, this game, one stop, one total stop on the day, 44 defensive snaps. They were lost over the middle of the field for the vast portion. And I didn't think Penn State was throwing anything all that creative at them to be that lost. It was just they were playing with tight ends. And he was would was really – in between on his run slash pass reads. Like he was really caught in a bind a lot. You saw him just whiff on Jahan Dotson in space once, didn't even touch him. So not a good all around showing against, you know, Akron week one, Alabama State week two, whatever. He made plays there. Great. Go up against a real team in Penn State and for him just to be basically vanishes a little concerning as a prospect. And he always was going to be a guy who you know, you were hoping to take the next step. Like you said, he didn't grade out that well last year. Was never been much of a playmaker, but he's been starting since true freshman year at linebacker for Auburn. At least seeing significant snaps and has that elite athleticism. So you're hoping to see it, but still TBD for Papa. I think we talked a lot about this over the off season, specifically about linebacker grading at PFF and also like having success at linebacker. And you just kind of mentioned about like speed and athleticism only take you so far to grade well in PFF system, like you need to be consistently making plays like at, at or behind the line of scrimmage, not missing tackles and not giving up plays in coverage. And while speed and athleticism will often help you there, a lot of that is like instincts, technique, like how quickly you're reading and reacting to plays. And I think that's where I, you know, I go back to, you know, linebackers grading poorly early in their NFL careers, you know, Patrick Queen, Jordan Brooks, even Devin White, Devin Bush, like those guys who were like, Good athletes, mm-hmm. not grading super well. A lot of that again is just like speed and athleticism is not what's going to get you to like be a, a highly productive player at that position. It's one of the hardest positions to play in the NFL. It's one of the more skilled positions to play in the NFL. So I do think a lot of development needs to be made on like, hey, like like the the cerebral component, but also like the technical component. Yeah, I mean Darren Lee, first rounder, awful. Like never never put it together. Like ridiculous athlete, never ended up happening with him. 
A new partner to Tailgate, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is a premium collegiate clothing brand out of Indianapolis, incredibly comfortable, and officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs. Homefield is in the middle of big new Saturday, season two, where they launch a new school collection every Saturday at 12 p.m. Eastern for 16 weeks straight. They have Georgia, North Carolina, Florida. I thought the West Virginia package was phenomenal. I'm a big West Virginia guy. And then also, they got USC coming this Saturday. I think the USC gear could be pretty sweet. I got I got San Diego State. I got the Vols. I got Florida. I think they sent me some other ones too. I got some Texas stuff. I'm a huge fan of Home Field Apparel, and you should be too. Use promo code PFF to get 15% off your first purchase at homefieldapparel.com. That is promo code PFF for 15% off. Get ready for college football tailgate season. Next part of this college football week three review. Let's get an update on this 2022 quarterback class. Yes. I think this one has been... A little bit of a roller coaster. Yes. Which I think is um, a good way to explain this quarterback class. Also evident why, like, I think you're going to see a lot of mixed opinions here. I mean, last year, I think there was only one notable analyst that didn't have Trevor Lawrence as their number one overall quarterback. I think even in previous classes, it hasn't. It's been more chalky who the top guy is. Mm-hmm. This year, you know. I'll read off some of the names. Spencer Rattler of Oklahoma. He's our number one guy and a lot of people's number one guy. He's also DraftKings projected, you know, first Ooh. round pick right now. Or number one overall pick. Maybe not in the next draft board. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Oh, wow. You might be making some changes with Rattler. So then be. you also have Sam Howell of North Carolina, Malik Willis of Liberty, Matt Crow Ole Miss, Carson Strong of Nevada, Keaton Slovis of USC, and then JT Daniels of Georgia. Any names that are just scratching that list that you could see yourself talking about come April, or is that kind of the extent? I think in terms of guys who are legitimately, you know, top half first round oh, conversation, okay. that's probably, probably like there. There are no Jaden Daniels. Uh, I don't think Jaden Daniels. Like, but I'm saying like guys who are at near top ten, top fifteen sort of prospects. That's it. And some of those I would say are very uphill climb that, that even get into that range would be a far-fetched for me but I, the interesting thing is some of the that at the moment if i don't know i'm one overall pick i'm in, looking at this quarterback class i, I don't know if i want to take a, one of these quarterbacks and now it obviously depends on how dire your quarterback situation is but i think gun to my head right now if i had to take one number one overall the guy i would take my chance on is malik willis Really? Just because none of these guys are like complete quarterbacks at the moment. Like they're all so far away from looking like they can operate an NFL offense. So at that point, give me the most physically talented one. Give me the guy who can take my push the ceiling the furthest with his physical tools. And basically, Malik Willis gives you the floor of elite rushing ability like that guy is a running back build running back rushing ability like he has that so just give me that floor and then let me see what i can do with talent because spencer rattler has just is still not playing he's not playing footballs but like he's he's not (laughs) playing the game that everyone else is playing at quarterback i don't know the best way to describe it i'm gonna have to think of a way to say it more eloquently because i'm gonna be saying it all draft season but the way he plays quarterback is just not how people play quarterback at the nfl level and that's so concerning because you would hope that could change because Lincoln Riley's offense very much offers you a lot within structure and he is still not taking advantage of it the way he should. And now he's super talented in his own right, but he's not nearly the runner and doesn't have the size that Malik Willis does. So I'm concerned about that. I, I think Howell has had the worst situation of these guys so yeah. far, but is 
not necessarily overcoming it in a meaningful manner and still kind of relying on go bowl RPL. Like that's still that offense. Obviously it wasn't necessarily going to change, but it's still difficult to project him to the NFL. Matt Corral is the one who's actually of this bunch who's really playing well. Now, again, Ole Miss hasn't played much in the way of top competition. We'll get to see him throughout the season, but I think he is actually looks like a guy who could be in that number one overall pick. Like if you're looking for the Zach Wilson, the guy who really lights it up his last year of college, Matt Corral is in that conversation right now, the Ole Miss QB. I think he's tied for the lead in Heisman odds as well. Yeah, and it should be. I mean, that Ole Miss offense is going to be tough to stop. And the one guy who I was really hoping for more and who had a massive, massive sort of test this past week, Carson Strong, I just don't think he passed it against Kansas State, Nevada quarterback, going up against Kansas State. Finished with a 67.7 overall grade or pass grade in that game. One really ugly pick. I just worry about him. He's just a one read and – Getting off, getting off his first read is difficult for him. Like the speed and the accuracy suffers when he has to go past that. And now he's real quick and very accurate with to getting to that first read, throwing with timing. But coming from an offense he does, you know, in Nevada, competition he's facing, to not have that in his game, I just that's that's a developmental project. Then at that point, I want to go back to Spencer Rattler. I know you just kind of ran through your guys that you feel all could be in contention for that top yes. ten, top five type of selection. Spencer Rattler so far this year, just an eighty-four point one PFF grade, coming off a year where he had a ninety-two point five. Not seeing some levels of progression. Not a single big time throw. What's a big time throw? Highly graded passes that are you know we down grade, the football field. Yeah, dime down the football or down the football field. Grade from negative two to positive two. It's any single throw. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. Well, we hadn't seen it yet. Hmm. Zero big time throws for Spencer Rattler. Five turnover worthy plays. Um, you know those those are the concerns there. And I do think that when you do look at some of the outer structure stuff, in rhythm, out of rhythm, you know outside the pocket, inside the pocket. So much of Spencer Rattler's work is being done outside the pocket. Also, you know, under pressure, which is volatile. Let's, you know, yeah, it looks sweet. And, like, I think there's a lot of specialness to being able to do what Spencer Rattler does under pressure with his arm and all that stuff. There isn't – you need to win inside of structure more than you do need to outside of structure if you're going to be, like, sustainable success in the NFL. Do you see it correcting itself, like, at all? Like, or as they go into Big 12 competition, do you see it correcting itself to where everyone starts to – get behind him as this consensus number one overall pick, or has he shown like no signs of actually getting this thing back on the track? I don't think he corrects himself. I just think that's kind of who he is at this point. It's going to take a different offense, basically a different voice in his ear to really change that. The other quarterback I want to ask you more about was Matt Corral. You know, Matt Corral, I think, um, in the, I think he is, I think I kind of hit on it with Zach Wilson and, and like Joe Burrow, these guys that play like really well, how important is this bye week and then Alabama? Like, I, I think this this is a big game. Remember we talked about that Joe Burrow game against Bama? Mm -hmm. Like this Matt Corral game against Bama. He's got an extra week to prepare. They have yeah. a bye this week and then Alabama the following week. I think probably game day, that's going to be a massive game. I don't know what that spread will be. I think Ole Miss will probably be a top 15, top 12 team in, the, in, in, um, in college football at that point. That, I think, is his biggest test, obviously, of the season. But if he comes out of that looking special – I do think this, you know, Heisman hype and also this top of the 2022 NFL draft hype will really start to boost. Yeah, I agree. And that's like, like we just said about Strong. That was kind of Strong's last test. He can go light up teams in the Mountain West all he wants, and we're not really going not to. Not San Diego State. <laughs> but we're not really going to. It's not going to move the needle much. Matt Corral can light up Austin P all he wants. It's not going to move the needle much. It's We're going to come back to the tape, 
this weekend against Alabama. Now he looked solid against Alabama last year, but through SEC competition last year, it was the utter duds that you worry about. The seven turnover where he plays against Arkansas, five turnover where he plays against LSU, and Arkansas came out in this like three safety defense, three high safety that Seth Galina wrote about last year. That's just he didn't he couldn't figure it out. He didn't know what to do. He was just throwing into safeties left and right, and that's kind of what you worry about is if you know sees something a little bit different sees a real deal defense how can he overcome well we'll get that chance to see you next week not this week biggest test for Carson Strong I just looked it up left November 13th 10 30 kick San Diego State in oh, San Diego we'll be staying up late for that one. it's not going to be easy I'll just say it right now it's not gonna be easy Brady Hoke's gonna be in his bag I'll say it right now all right other two quarterbacks you didn't mention here and maybe guys that you're already ready writing off of not being his first round caliber players Keaton Slovis of USC and JT Daniels of Georgia. Why? What? JT Daniels is grading well this year. He graded well last year down the stretch. Why is JT Daniels not, you know, in that in that conversation for you? Well, grading well this year, he played one game against South Carolina that he graded well in. Stop. Did you watch the Clemson game? I, the Clemson game was horrendous. Okay. <laughs> the, we're, we're good. We're good there. Um, no, I mean, he was – the Clemson game was almost comical in that they just, like, were terrified of him throwing it away. His average time to throw in that game was 1.88 seconds. It was – his average depth target was 3.5 yards on the football field. It was just like when you're when you as – when your head coach as a play, or play caller, office coordinator, is not letting you, is specifically not letting you, that means they themselves know – that like, hey, we can't let him take these chances down the football field. We can't let him throw away this game because mm-hmm. they've seen him practice every day and they know how he operates. That's kind of an indictment in and of itself is the head coach not letting you do things because they obviously know more about you than anyone else. So I'll just say that about him. And then Slovis, he's at very high risk of getting Keaton Slovis himself with how good Jackson Dart looked in his stead this past weekend. So Slovis is kind of uh, Anthony Tresh's take about him being number one overall. It's on life support. It is on life support, and it's unfortunate. Any of the Jaden Daniels truthers also on life support. Any other quarterbacks maybe even not even eligible for this draft class? Can surprise me. I think it hasn't been a fantastic quarterback year so far. It's been a roller coaster. Brandon Armstrong for Virginia is grading super well so far this year. Grayson McCall. What about Grayson McCall, Coastal Carolina? Oh, uh, dude, McCall's just so skinny. I mean, I, I don't even think he's he got come up to two ten. He's a rocked up two ten now. <laughs> he doesn't look. He's rocked a up. rocked up two ten now. Um, the guy who's interesting who had a massive game this past weekend, Jake Hayner, Fresno State, beating UCLA. The two throws he made on that last drive were spectacular. Now, is he a first-round type prospect? No, I don't think so. I haven't gone back and watched his tape this year, but it's a name to watch. Gotcha. Hashtag. Hashtag name to watch? No, it's not a freaking name to watch. Trevor Sycamore wrote a feature, a new PFF analyst here, wrote a feature on Jake Hayner that comes out, Jack Hayner that comes out today on PFF.com. Jake? Jake? Yeah. Sorry. Um, before we get to Bust Watch, got to shout out our proud sponsors of the Tailgate Podcast, Western Southern. The Tailgate is sponsored by Western Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western Southern helps you advance, helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Western Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to identify your needs and adjust your goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. Are you getting to start? Are you planning to start a family, Mike? When are we going to start talking about it? Not anytime soon. 
<laughs> all right definitely um, not gonna talk to you about it either what i did that's fair that's fair enough um next one we have bus watch yes, who sir. is on bus watch right now the jaguars defensive entire defensive line and now that's maybe a little unfair josh allen and it is unfair josh allen that don't put him in this but you have three first rounders on that defensive line they drafted in the past four years you got Taven bryan at dt you got Josh. You bring up Taven Bryan. That's a deep cut. He's been on bus watch since like this 2019. Year. But we haven't we haven't thrown him in the bus watch segment. <laughs> and then Caleb on Chase on. Chase on's the one I'm a little worried about because he looks he looks like a a deer right after they're born. They're still on the football field. Does that make any sense? Yeah, Where it they're does. just like I can see it. It's not nothing comes naturally to him. Seem like he's still whether that's the scheme what he's being asked to do. He just doesn't feel like he's playing loose. On the mm-hmm. football field, you saw it week one when he legitimately was slipping left and right trying to bring down Tyrod Taylor. Had, like, multiple free runs on him and didn't tackle him once, I don't think. And then this past week, I mean, his first pass rushing snap this past week, he just he didn't even get touched by uh, Garrett Bowles on the left side and falls flat on his back. And he had a very unfortunate stain uh, right where it looked like he shit his pants the rest of the game, which was, I mean, insult to injury, like you read about. But his tackling grade for his career – 30.0 last year, 30.4 this year. Like I said, he just is not kind of – he's not comfortable. I don't know what it is. And now this year, 53.1 pass rushing grade, only three pressures. I am legitimately worried about him. Taven Bryan, bus watch, you can chalk that one up right now. He's in year four, still doing nothing. Josh Allen, I'll just kind of attribute that against – he went up against two very good left tackles, probably two of the top six left tackles in the NFL. Larry Matunzel week one. Garrett Bowles this past week, still six pressures between those two. Uh, he's not in this bus watch like the other guys are. It's the other two, though. The fact that the Jags defensive line invested all that they did, and the results are lackluster. I mean, there's a lot of reason to be concerned with the Jags, and starting with their defense, I think, is an interesting choice because their offense also hasn't looked all that great either. But uh, bus watch, I mean, Taven Bryant's comfortably in there. Caleb on chase on entering. The other bust, Hall of Fame bust, Mm-hmm. I know. I think we've mentioned it, but I kind of want to hit the point home. This past week had another stellar game. Bobby Wagner, first ballot, has yeah. to be, yeah. has to be first ballot Hall of Famer. He was um, fantastic this past week. He's graded super well his entire career at a position where I've already talked about how hard it is to grade well. Bobby Wagner, first ballot Hall of Famer. That's the guy I'm going to throw in the Hall of Fame bust yeah. segment of this. 18 tackles. Now we don't love tackles as a stat, but 18 tackles is still a lot and seven stops. That means you are around the football that's he's yeah first ballot you should be I mean it was him and Keekley and David were the trio that we talked about that were the class of this generation of linebackers and Wagner and David obviously still going strong whiff watch oh this one hurts this one of the first in-person interviews I've done at PFF you want to give you want to give the the background again on this one again so Jerry Tillery defense tackle Notre Dame Jerry Tillery defense tackle Notre Dame he is now on our whiff watch here. We went up to South Bend, interviewed him in South Bend, which was awesome. We talked to him, Miles Boykin, Drew Tranquil, me and uh, video editor Tyler Sacek. Shout out Savi T. And it was right after he had that awesome, he had that surgery. His arm was hurt, and he's like, "You're not going to talk about this arm, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." It was one of the one of the crazier interviews I've ever done because he was so hesitant, really to to really speak with me, and was very nervous that I was going to bring up like. So that was right when he was in that line of questioning too, where people thought he didn't love football. And he's like, you can't bring up that stuff. I was like, dude, I'm not, I'm just coming here. To, I'm largely just blow, and we like you a lot. We think you're a top five player or whatever. What did you have him as number three player in the draft? Ten. No, he's ten. Ten. Yeah. 
top 10 player in the draft. We were like, dude, we're coming here because we love you. We think you're fantastic. And he was like, dude, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Jerry Tiller, he's uh, officially on Whiff Watch. Officially on Whiff Watch. And it's because I don't know what it is. He has never figured out how to take on double teams in the run game. Now, as a pass rusher, I don't think he's a lost cause by any means. I mean, even this game, he had a sack, three pressures. So, like, he can still contribute a little there. But my God, no one, there's not a defense tackle in the NFL that gets taken off the line easier than Jerry Tiller. There's <laughs> just not. That's rough to hear. It's so, it's so like, and it's been the same thing his entire college career. Uh, as a coach, you just have to like tell him to do something, like just have him penetrate or something else because having him try to two gap or basically just, you know, drop anchor against double teams, it doesn't work. He's got he's got to put something else in his bag in the run game. Twenty eight point eight run defense grade so far this season, and now we obviously talked about the run game not as impactful as the passing game. But when you're that bad, it's still impactful, and teams know it and will just run right at you in short yardage situations. It is a liability. So Jerry Tillery on Whiff Watch. Unfortunately, still hate the name of the segment Whiff Watch. Love the previous one. Whiff Watch is like. What do you do at a bar on a Friday night? Not. What the hell are you do? What are you doing at a bar on a Friday night? Whiff watching. Whiffing. Whiffing. <laughs> oh me. Um. Yeah. That's not. That's actually not true. Untrue. But what? Can, come up with a better name than Mike. All right. Well, we can keep Whiff Watch. I like Whiff Watch. All right. Breakout Watch. Jalen Johnson, cornerback with Chicago Bears, coming off a monster game. I think he's the highest grade cornerback in the NFL, or one of the highest grade quarterbacks, cornerbacks in the NFL. He was excellent out of the gate, dude. Another guy that was on this podcast, former Utah standout guy that was super smart, super cerebral. And honestly, I think I comped him to Marcus Peters coming out. Mm. Um, he looks really good and has been thriving for Chicago. Thriving, to say the least. Uh, picking a pass breakup in this game. 13 pass breakups as a rookie led all rookies. Uh, I think he's clearly a player on the rise. Like, I haven't gone back and watched it. Yeah, he got burned deep towards the end of the game, kind of trying to sit on the sticks at one point. And that's a little that bit a of a demo. throw from Joe Burrow. And that was a miss. Yeah, it got overthrown. It didn't end up costing them. That's kind of, I think, who he's going to be. I think he's going to be a little boomer bust. He's going to take chances. And like you said, Mark, Marcus Peters, that's kind of been him. But you are going to get production, ball production, out of this guy from basically just what we've seen through a year and two games now. I... I feel confident that Jalen Johnson is going to be a number one type of corner here very short. Damn, high praise for Jalen Johnson. Uh, first round lock. This is probably the most anticipated segment of oh, these yeah. episodes, man. Everyone loves to hear who you're putting on the first round lock. And after that, we got interviews with Justin Jacobs of Iowa and then running back Jerion Ely of Ole Miss. Tell me, so you have Kayvon Thibodeau, mm -hmm. Derek Stingley Jr. of LSU, Evan Neal, Bama tackle, Aiden Hutchinson with an early addition to the first round lock the Michigan edge defender, who I think right now leads all power five defensive linemen in pass rush win rate. is also one of the highest graded players at his position, who is now the fifth locked in first round lock. It's Kyle Hamilton. Nice. Notre Dame safety. Finally going to the well. Didn't, didn't know how long I could keep him off this list. Didn't want to look like a homer, but it's officially time because we're going to Notre Dame games back-to-back -back weeks, and he's coming off a monster against Purdue. Had the sick one-handed pick in the end zone. <laughs> Two pass breakups. I feel like every single week we're like, oh, my God, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> yeah, like, what was that? And that's basically who he is. Um, and then the fourth down tackle in the backfield he had coming from, like, deep – coming from, like, not box safety. 
to make a tackle for a loss on a fourth down was pretty insane. Um, yeah, Kyle Hamilton, your first round lock. You you could probably lock him in the top fifteen picks too. That's the first half of the first round. Let's lock. go. He's are you a, still are you starting to get nervous at all about these locks here? Yeah, after this. I don't know where I'm going with my next one. Oh, I have no. an idea of where I'm going with my next one. I'm not going to hint at it too much. To I mean, my take is, and don't comment on this if you don't want to hint, is eventually you're going to have to start talking a quarterback. Like you. That's the one I don't want to go to. Really? I just I don't want to put a name. I don't want to put a quarterback name out there just because of this I class, mean, man. This class. I so. know, but Rattler's not going to fall out of the first round. There's no way. There's no way Rattler falls out of the first round. He's too talented. Yeah. I mean, I would argue the same for Sam Howell. Like, that would be absurd, especially when you're, like, playing the betting odds. Like, Howell and Rattler are both, like, top. Yeah, Howell, Rattler, Willis would be the three that would be one of those would be the first one I'd choose. But I'm going to wait a few weeks on those guys. On quarterbacks? And you're going to go to the well on non-QBs for first-rounders? Yeah, I think there's a few more. I'm excited. I'm excited. Tune in. Tailgate podcast for the first round locks segment every single Wednesday. Um, next on our list here, Jess Jacobs interview, and then also the interview with Jerion Ely. Let's get to those. Now joining the tailgate podcast is current Iowa linebacker, Justin Jacobs, man. I've been looking forward to getting you on the show because I have been, I haven't been more impressed with any linebacker in the power five than you this entire year. You have been phenomenal for the Iowa Hawkeyes defense, the number five Iowa Hawkeyes. Thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Where I'd like to start is honestly, let's turn back the clocks a little bit. You're retro, you're retro sophomore. You got to Iowa, highly regarded recruit, at 193 pounds, actually dropped to 190, and then have added a lot of weight since then. Talk to me about that progression and, and how hard that was to add that weight, or I guess how easy that was, just that whole journey to the weight you're playing at now. Yeah, uh, coming in, I, I knew I was obviously going to uh, gain some weight. Uh, not that many linebackers were the, the way I came in at. Um, so, fr- so from the start, they just drilled it into me that I, I was going to have to eat. I was going to have to uh, become a priority. I was going to have to constantly uh, think about it, constantly fit it on my schedule. So then, um, I mean, just, just getting that down to discipline, uh, always have snacks on me, um, just, just always trying to make my goal way e- each week because they didn't want me to gain it too fast. Mm-hmm. So just always like just, just staying on, just trying to stay on pace. Um, and yeah, the strength staff just, just helped me a lot, helped me stay on task. Going from 190 to now 237 at six foot three, that's impressive. What was the go-to meal in the bulk up? Were you eating the, you know, some people do the crazy smoothies. What were you doing for the uh, go-to meal? Uh, well, I say a lot of protein shakes, <laughs> uh, a lot of core powers, a lot of little uh, berry shakes that they make us here. Um, I mean, and then from there, uh, shoot, I was 190, not really eating a lot back home. So, I mean, it was kind of easy getting black card and whatnot, just, just uh, constantly just keep eating. I mean, I say my go-to place is probably – Chipotle, probably eat Chipotle like probably like five times a week. I need to know what the Chipotle order is. Where are you going? Double rice, double beans. Where, where's what's the Chipotle uh, order? Yeah, so, so I usually get uh, white rice, black beans. I get half chicken, half steak. Smart. Uh, it's it's a, a little hack to make sure. <laughs> I like it. I like it. A little, <laughs> a little bit more meat in there, uh, and I get uh, the pico, and then uh, hot sauce, sour cream, corn, cheese, and oh, shoot, my voice cracking a little bit. <laughs> All good. <laughs> 
And then uh, I always get um, the chips too. Can't get the ball without the chips. Yeah, yeah, that's honestly a fantastic order. Let's get back to football here. I want to talk more about the role you play in this defense. It's it's such a versatile role. They know you have that sideline to sideline speed. I know that uh, Ferris appreciates appreciates your length. You play so many different positions in this defense. Move around a ton, especially pre snap. How has that been for you? And how much have you? I guess you've learned playing multiple roles and so many different roles in this defense. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's been fun taking on the challenge, uh, switching around, um, just just moving out around week to week. And as a linebacker unit, we really worked on that uh, during fall camp and spring ball, just being uh, versatile, um, just switching like uh, 907 when we were out there, switching uh, positions every play. So, um, I mean, I, I think Coach Wallace and the other linebackers, like uh, doing a great job, like just coming together, making sure everybody learns each position. And then when you do that, it gets easier, like just to bounce around and move around. You know, what is your relationship with Coach Ferentz and how much I know you spoke to some other coaches and also the strength and conditioning coach, but how much has he specifically helped you throughout your young career there at Iowa? Uh, I, he's helped me a lot. Um, you know, just just a little conversation, just uh, pulling me to the side. Like when I first started getting time, uh, just just telling me what he saw, saw out there, what I could do better. And then when I did get better, uh, he, he told me what he saw and, and just added on more, uh, just different things I can do. So um, he, he's just just always giving me good advice, uh, keep me humble, and just just let me know what's the next step for me. I think a lot of the country is sh- not necessarily shocked, but surprised that Iowa is coming out number five team in the country. Have done a fantastic job to start the season. Has have you felt practices change or expectation shift or going in? Did you guys know you were going to going into this week with you know such high expectations and like I said, a top five team in the country? Uh, I mean, we 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 really weren't focus on like being being a high ranked team. We weren't really focused on like a lot of expectations. We really, uh, as a unit, we just been working on just, uh, a lot of players have already said it like in the media, just upholding our standard. And then once we reach a, a nice standard, we want to like just keep keep rising that. So so I, I think like throughout our work through the summer, through fall camp, through, through the practices, us just growing, growing tighter as a team and then just holding each other accountable. And, and then when you do that, as you see, like the, the results start to pay off. I love that. Hold yourself to a standard and maintain that standard. If you had to describe what Iowa football standard is, how would you describe it? Uh, it's something that we talk about all the time. Uh, just the three things, smart, tough, and physical. You want, you want to go out there, and, and, that, and that's the way you want to play. You want, you want to be smart. You want to know what you're doing. You want to be tough. Uh, obviously, when you look at Iowa football players, you think about them being tough and physical, winning at the point of attack, uh, just making sure our opponent feels us. And I, I feel like we – we practice that during the week, and then it it shows up during the weekend. Let's look ahead to Colorado State. How much film have you already watched? And a name that pops off for me, Trey McBride, a guy, a tight end that has been absolutely phenomenal to start the season. I think he's in the early running for the Mackey Award list. How much tape of Colorado State have you already watched? And then have you honed in at all on that tight end they love to throw the ball to? Yeah, uh, we we watched quite a bit of film. Uh, I mean, we we started on Sunday getting getting locked in. Um, and yeah, obviously they have a huge talent at tight end. It's going to be a tough challenge this week. Uh, he's, he's great catching the ball. He's great in blocking. So, so during the week, we, we just have to practice uh, at 100%, just work on our physicality because we know when we get in the game, we're going to need it. They like to be in big, uh, tough packages. So, so come damn time, we just got to be physically ready. Last one for you, and then we'll we'll jump off of this, Justin. Really appreciate the time. This is the number six defense in the in the Power Five in EPA per play or efficiency. How does it get better? Where do you guys need to improve? You think to get better and continue to kind of like you said, hold that standard? Uh, just not come, uh, become complacent. Like not not think we've arrived. 
Don't pay attention to the outside news. Don't don't pay attention to the rankings. Just, just know every week uh, we go in the film room, we see the mistakes we've made, and then we just got to uh, just improve off that and, and just get better every week. So just not becoming complacent and always just working to get better. And I feel like if we do that, then we'll, we'll just keep climbing. Phenomenal stuff, Justin. Thanks again for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Now joining the tailgate podcast is current Ole Miss running back. Also dual sport athlete. People don't even know you're an outfielder for Ole Miss as well. Also a baseball player, Jerry on Ely. Jerry on great to have you on the show. Great to have you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, man. So you were a highly, highly regarded recruit coming out of high school, dual sport athlete, as I mentioned before, ended up making the decision to go to Ole Miss over a handful of, you know, blue blood offers. What kept you in Mississippi? Um, honestly, I just knew we could build something great uh, with the class. With my class coming in, um, I was already talking with a couple guys that were already committed here, and I was once committed here for a full year before I decommitted. So mm-hmm. it was only right to stay home and, you know, bring the first national championship to the state of Mississippi. Hell yeah, man. That's awesome to hear. And I know Ole Miss is thankful for it, especially this season, already off to an absolute fiery start. Let's also talk a little bit about your you know, um, your love for baseball and football together. You know, what you've been playing baseball since you know, early high school. I haven't missed a season in a long time. Um, and you're recovering from shoulder surgery. But what, let me hear about, you know, what first got you into baseball and how important it is to you to continue to play baseball as you prioritize, obviously, your football career there at Ole Miss. Um, so first sport I probably ever played, was baseball. The first thing I probably ever picked up was a baseball or a baseball bat. Um, I've had two uncles. One played in the minor leagues. One actually made it all the way and it was a scout for 20 plus years. And so I've always kind of been around the game of baseball. Um, so I'm, I just, I don't know. I just always <laughs> had baseball in my blood and just, it's always been there. Mm-hmm. And so when did you start playing football and when did that really take steam, you know, gain steam for you? I didn't start playing organized football until I was about seven. Mm-hmm. And so the rest is history from there. Fair enough. Uh, you know, focusing in on Ole Miss here, talk to me more about your relationship with Lane Kiffin and how, you know, ex- how, how your relationship has progressed, especially with your usage in that offense, uh, your relationship and, uh, and the impact he's had on you. Uh. He's had a big impact, honestly. I mean, he just teaches you so much about the game, just the small details of the game that people honestly fail to realize. He fills us in, and he's just a perfect play caller. Mm-hmm. It's like every time he calls a play, a score. So whatever he <laughs> says, I listen to it. Yeah, I think the other thing that a lot of people say about Lane Kiffin is just his his ability to adjust, whether that's in, right. in a quarter, at halftime. Speak more to the kind of the experience you've had seeing him adjust on the fly, because you obviously work with him in the game plans prior to each game, and then you look at it in game, some things can be completely thrown out the window and change. How has that you know experience been for you? All right, so I've got a great example because it happened today. So today in practice, uh, he just drew up something – Basically, with his hand, he said, well, "You do this, you do this, and then you do this." Next thing you know, he's in the end zone. So I don't really know what to say. 
That's incredible. I think that uh, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. I think a lot of people, you know, um, you know, covet him as one of the geniuses of the sport, one of the best offensive minds in the sport. Another, you know, player or another person at Ole Miss that's you know really thriving is Mac Rowell, guy that is you know jumping up the Heisman ranks, is playing really well to start this season. How has it been to you know be on his at his side as he's progressed and honestly led you guys to these wins so far this year? No, uh, it's been great. I mean, I've been with here, been with him since I've been here, so. Uh, I've seen him grow a lot over the years, and uh, you know, and, and it shouldn't happen to anyone else. You know, he's a perfect guy for it. He deserves it. He's worked his butt off, and uh, it's just that somebody that I go to war for any day. It sounds like obviously a fantastic player off the field. On the field, what do you feel is this kind of separator for him among other quarterbacks in college football? What do you think specifically gives him that edge for Ole Miss? It's preparation, man. That man is up here like he's a coach. He, he put in <laughs> coaching hours. So uh, it's definitely his preparation. He prepares like he's a pro for sure. I'd love to get an inside look on how you guys are preparing for your next game. You obviously have the bye week and then Bama upcoming, one of the biggest games of the year. First, let's talk about this week. And what are the priorities in this bye week as you prepare for obviously next week? And then how do those shift and what kind of shifts in the schedule next week? Um, honestly, man, we just get a little bit of recovery and then getting our legs back. And then probably tomorrow we'll start game planning for them. I mean, that's about it. Yeah. Have you, have you had any opportunities to turn on the film for Alabama yet? Or are you already watching film looking at the defense at all? Oh, of course. I mean, I've, as soon as I watched the game from this past weekend, yesterday I started watching film on them. I mean, hey, it's always great to get a head start on your opponent, especially those guys. So when you're turning on that film, what are you specifically looking for? Do your eyes kind of gravitate towards the defensive line, linebackers? Are you looking more at, you know, personnel groupings? What, where, where's your head at when you turn on the film? I'm looking at the linebackers. Um, I'm looking at the linebackers in the secondary. See how they move in space. Uh, what are they tails? What do they like to do? How do they tip off when they feel a blitz? Uh, uh, what do they do against inside zone? How do they flow against outside zone? Just things of that nature. Who uh, on that team has surprised you or kind of caught your eye? You know, they have re two really, really talented linebackers and in the secondary, obviously loaded as well. Right. Uh, Christian. Christian, uh, I played against him last year, and he was flying around. He does the same thing again. Uh, <laughs> very smart guy. Um Really good, really, really good, patient football player, you know. So uh, it's going to have to be a little cat and mouse game between us. Absolutely. Uh, something else, I, I forgot to bring this up when we were talking about Lane. I was reading an article where Lane compared you to a former player he worked with at, at, at Bama, Kenyon Drake. How do you feel about that player comparison? I know he said maybe a you're a little bit, little bit shorter, but or do you have a better player comparison than maybe Drake? Are there players that you watch in the NFL that you like? Uh, I mean – Coming out of high school, that's who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. so Drake. Um, I like Kenyon. I like Alvin. I like Aaron Jones. I, you know, I like the guys that get out and catch the ball out of the backfield. Gotcha. Last one for you, and then I'll let you go. Really appreciate the time. You know, Ole Miss is off to such a hot start, and, you know, they have one of the biggest games of the year's upcoming. But if you had the highlight in area where Ole Miss or even yourself could specifically improve, where, where can you guys get better for this season? What would that be? Decreasing the penalties. Gotcha. Yeah. Got efficient football, clean football is how Ole Miss moves forward. Jerry, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a good one.